Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy. And now your host, President and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea. Bugs. We don't think much about them until they show their nasty little selves. And when they do, we're faced with a choice. Try to kill them ourselves or call the pros. Today's guest is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Kevin Citarella of Citarella Pass Control. If you live and work in the Tampa Bay and surrounding areas, maybe you've seen their bright orange trucks. Kevin Citarella is a three-time pass control business building businessman and entrepreneur. He's as humble as they come with a big and generous heart. And he's also a very smart businessman that understands that like almost all businesses, the pest control business is also really a people business. Take a journey into the world of creating a service-based business model. We're going to break down what it takes to start a pest control business, including licenses, degrees, and certifications. Kevin shares some insights into how they deal with non-compliant clients who must do their part to help resolve a complicated pest situation. We talk about how he trains his team, the logistics of covering a large territory, and he shares his best advice on pitching and getting new business. By the way, did you know you can get a degree in entomology? Not to be confused with etymology, which is the study of the history of words. Entomology is the scientific study of insects, a branch of zoology. And who studies insects? Pest control people, that's who. Without further ado, let's get into it. Now, on to today's interview. Today's guest is Kevin Citarella, the president and CEO of Citarella Termite and Pest Management. They've been in business since January of 2013, so they've been around for a little over 10 years. And as you know, it takes almost that much for you to figure out what the heck you're doing when you're in business. True. <laughs> um, help me help me get a, an understanding of the size of your company currently. I've seen your trucks all around town. How many? Uh, how big is your fleet of trucks right now? We have 18 employees, um, 15 trucks on the road. Um, I've got three girls that work in the office that handle the the administrative side of things. We cover a big area. We're based out of Spring Hill, Florida, which is a little north of Tampa here. Mm-hmm. And we cover basically a 60-mile radius out of that Spring Hill location, give or take. You know, there's certain jobs that occasionally will take us beyond that. But for the most part, we try to keep it within that within that 60-mile. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I want to circle back to in a, in a few minutes um, because that's one of the things that is usually – a, you know, a bad indicator for businesses to, to, to say that they do everything and that they go everywhere. And so I, I want to, I want to ask you questions about the logistics of that. That was one of the first things that I wondered when I figured out that you guys were in Spring Hill, I was like, wow, why are they servicing me all the way down here? But, um, sure. but let's, before we dive into that, um, tell me the origin story. How did you decide to start your company? Well, I mean, you'd have to go back quite a ways. I'm second generation pest control operator. My dad was in the business 
my stepdad actually. He married my mother. We were living in New York at the time. He had uh, come back to New York to help his father, who was in the furniture refinishing business, oh. but had been in pest control. He had been in pest control up until that point, and he started working for a company in Long Island. But in New York, pest control is more of a seasonal business because of the weather. And he finally talked my mother into moving us to Florida, which I had no problem with because I don't like the cold. And you know, one of the things I said when they told me we're moving to Florida says, all right, I'll be packed in an hour. When do we leave? Because, I mean, I was ready to go. I never liked the snow and the cold. So we came to Florida, and he worked for a couple other pest control companies. I was about 13, 14 years old then. We were, you know, just going into high school. And um, then he decided to start his own company, and I worked for him, start, helped him start his company. And I worked for him for over 20 years till he finally sold his business. That was in November 2000. I started a company at that time after trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself at that point, whether I wanted to work for the company he sold it to, go to work for somebody else who over the years had tried to hire me or always told me if I needed a job, come see them. And I interviewed with four or five different companies and finally decided, you know, if I have to go back to work, so to speak, I'm going to go to work for myself. I might as well do it for myself. And I did. I went to work for myself. I started a company from scratch, just me, built it up. Sorry, what kind of company? A pest control company. Oh, okay. Yes. Not this one. Not this one. Okay, wow. Yeah. And um, so this is actually the third pest control company I built, if you count me, what I did with my father to help him build his business. Wow. And okay. um, so because when, when him and I started the other company, it was just him, and I was still in high school helping him after school and weekends. And then, you know, when I graduated high school, worked with him full time until it, it got bigger and bigger. At, at the time he sold his business, we were covering three quarters of the state. We had offices in Ocala, Orlando, here locally, and then down in Fort Myers. Wow. And um, I was basically like a regional manager. I took care of all the service side of the business. He took care of the business side of the business. So anything that happened service related, it went through me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say when I realized I had to go back to work, so to speak. You know, anywhere I, that I was going to go to work, they wanted me to take kind of a step back and do more of a either a service manager's job or a, or a general manager's job. So it was going to require a lot more physical work, less driving around and checking on people kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's why I decided to do it for myself and, you know, just start from zero. And I built that company up to where I had about 10 or 12 people working for me and Massey Services decided they wanted to move into the Brooksville market and sent me a letter and I was having a bad day one day. My wife happened to be going through some medical issues and I decided to give them a call and we ended up working out a deal and I ended up selling that business to them and going to work for them for a while, which took a lot of stress off of me with my wife's situation. She was going through breast cancer, um, made a full recovery fortunately and, and you know we got through all that. But you know Massey made it real easy for me at that time to take care of her and not have to worry about running a business. And it was just at the time where the economy was taking a big downturn at the, at the same time. That was 2007, 2008. So it was good timing in, in itself. And a lot of small businesses didn't survive that economic downturn where you know we were able to capitalize on what we had built and put ourselves in a position to take care of what was going on. And I worked there about six years had a, a, an agreement not to start another company for at least five. So I honored that agreement, stayed there another year. But at the end of the day, 
I had basically been used to working for myself because even when I worked for my dad, I worked for myself. I took care of the service side of things. What, um, sorry, when you stayed on with Massey, what what did they ask of you? Well, I stayed on. The position I had was called a senior account manager. So I was doing mostly sales. Uh, I could have pretty much did whatever they, they wanted me to do. They wanted me to. I could have been a general manager for them. I could have been a service manager. Um, I like sales. I like that side of the business more. So I, and that gave me a lot more flexibility to do, you know, what I had to do to take care of my wife by being on the, on the sales side. So I worked in their commercial division doing sales. So they gave you money for the business. Yep. Did they just write you a whole, a whole big check and said here? No, we worked out a payment plan. They paid, they paid it over time. Every month I got a check from them. For the business. And then on top of that, they were also paying you a salary for your role. Correct. Okay, cool. Yep, and I was working out of the office down here in Clearwater, mm-hmm. um, doing mostly commercial sales throughout the Tampa Bay market. You know, Clearwater, Tampa, and up through you know, the Brooksville, Spring Hill area. Um, and I enjoyed it. And the role there, you know, was limited to a certain point, though. And when you're working for somebody else, you've got to do things the way they want you to do them. Whether you think it's I won't say right or wrong, but it's not always what you, you know, because that's kind of an abstract thing in our pest control business. There's a lot of ways to get to a, a certain end result, and some people do it one way, some people do it another way. It's, neither way is necessarily wrong. It's just different. And you, when you're used to giving the orders, it's hard sometimes having to take the orders from somebody else. So after a while, you know, the writing on the wall, working for a bigger corporate company that was growing very rapidly, I decided that. I didn't like that idea, and I wanted to be back on my own again. Went home, discussed it with my wife. We decided to move in that direction, and and she said, "You do what makes you happy." And I gave my notice. I gave them almost six weeks of notice. Left on good terms. Started my business, and again went back to just like when I left my dad, ground zero, just me, just a truck, and no customers, and started beating on doors. All right, so. You know, the whole part, the whole reason of being for this show is to inspire business owners, you know, even if they're in a different industry to kind of get ideas on how, you know, how the inner workings of sure. your industry work. So describe, I mean, you've done it, you know, two, three times already. What is that formula for stepping out on your own with a truck, just you and doing pest control what does that pitch look like? How, how, how do you do that? How you get? How do you get out there and wake up every day and, and start making money from from zero? Well, I mean, you you've got to be inspired to do these things to a certain extent. I mean, you you want more out of life than just what is average, and I think that that's where it really starts. In pest control, it's a it's an easy business to get into in that it doesn't take a lot of money to get started. I mean, equipment, a truck. And a lot of legwork and manpower. It can be done relatively inexpensively, but you have to have a license through the state, which I am certified by the state of Florida in four different categories. At the time I got certified, I was right out of high school. I was actually the youngest certified operator ever in the state of Florida at the time. Um, what does that entail to become a certified operator? Well, there's two ways to become a, a certified operator in Florida. You either have to go to school and get a master's degree in entomology Okay. Or you have to work for a company for a certain amount of time and then take the test mm. to become, and you have to, it's a three-year minimum that you have to put in in Florida, and you have to do so many jobs in each category. And there's four categories that they license you in in Florida. Um, lawn and ornamental, which is grass spraying and shrubs and bushes. 
general household pest control and rodent control, which are rats, mice, roaches, and things like that for houses and businesses. Regular termite control, which is subterranean termites or termite inspections for the real estate market or new construction pretreatments, things like that. And then uh, fumigations, which is where they put the big tents over the houses to get rid of dry wood termites. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to take a test in each category. Um, it's a very difficult test. It's usually a three to four hour exam put out by the state in each category. So you have to have a lot of training. Um, the schooling always helps make it easier. And, and then, what was that degree? Etymology? Entomology. Entomology. Yeah, University of Florida is one of the leaders in the country for entomology. They have a big, a big department up there. Um, they kind of oversee a lot of the uh, cooperative extension services throughout the, the different counties in Florida. There's a division they call IFAS, Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, that's run by the University of Florida's entomology department that helps homeowners, helps pest control operators, and, and in general through, throughout the state, each county has one that's out there to, you know, to help benefit. And it's done by the state. It's all regulated by the state. Um, the state of Florida Department of Agriculture actually regulates our industry, so our licensing is done through the state of Florida, but it's kind of overseen through the University of Florida programs that are put together. It gets involved, I guess, I, and you know. When you, because the, the way that you kind of described it initially, it almost sounds like, oh, I, you know, just anybody can be like, you know what, I'm going to start my own pest control business and I'm just going to go to Home Depot and buy stuff and I'm just going to get a truck and a little thing to take the cobwebs off. And like, you know, but, but then you go into that and it's like, wait, no, not only do you have, you have to either have a degree and, you know, Kevin, I've known you for a long time. And every time I have texted you, a picture of any kind of critter in my house, you immediately write back with that's a this and they're harmless or that's a this and they're <laughs> right. Well, so, I mean, I you mean, know it, your stuff. It, ta- it takes a lot of time to, to learn those things. And I kind of take it for granted sometimes because I'm self-taught. I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college route. I, I, you know, my school, you know, and it, it's kind of a cliche. People say the school of hard knocks, but it is, you know, I started out when I moved to Florida like I said, I was in high school and Florida schools, unfortunately, are a little behind the schools that in New York at the time. I don't know if they still are, but at that time they were. I lost a lot of interest in school because of that. And my father was working. He taught me his business. He took me with him. So I got a lot of interest in doing what he was doing. So I kind of mediated that way or you know, kind of radiated that way and started working instead of concentrating on school. I still did okay in school. I was an AB student without really trying, um, but I lost interest in going to college because of that. Mm-hmm. So I was working, I was making money, I was having fun, you know, and, and it kind of just stayed that way. And, and I found out because of the industry, I can move up throughout this industry within my dad's company or another company if I choose to leave and go there without having all that education behind me because there are resources for me to learn these things without having to go to school. What is this industry like in general, like, is it easy for you to find people that like, so the people that work for you, do they have to have special knowledge or do you do the training? We, we, we will train people that are not trained. Um, you do not have to have special knowledge. Um, if you've already been through somebody else's training program, sometimes it makes it a little easier. Sometimes it makes it harder because you've got to break them of the bad habits. They have kind of like me when I worked for Massey. At, at one point, I got tired of being there because I didn't want to take orders from somebody else because I thought I knew a better way to do it or a different way to do it. So sometimes you gotta you got to retrain people 
and break their, their habits that they've learned at other places. So sometimes it's easier to take somebody in who has no previous experience and, and teach them. Um, you could take people with college degrees or without, as we've talked about. Um, so it's not really necessary to have a college degree. College degrees can be helpful, but they're not necessary. Um, you do have to take time. Our, our usual training program when we hire somebody is a minimum the state requirements a minimum of five days. We do a minimum of two to three weeks before we'll put somebody on their own, depending on what position they're going to be moving into and how quickly they pick up on it and, and absorb what we're telling them and teaching them. A lot of it's hands-on training, but we do you know, give them books and give them things to study and research material. And then we do ongoing training with all of our people throughout the year. There's different programs put on by the Florida Pest Management Association that we'll take advantage of. We'll have... Uh, industry um, uh, people come into our office and, and talk to our, our, our technicians and our team members. Are these vendors? These are vendors. These are, are representatives of the manufacturers sometimes, or they could be representatives of some of the distributors that we deal with. Um, so we get it on two different levels there. We will have people from outside the industry sometimes come in, like yourself, for example, as an advertising person, maybe come in and speak to our people on how to you know, talk to people. We've had people come in and talk about insurance issues, um, things to watch out for liability-wise, driving issues. Driving's a big thing. I mean, our guys drive 40, 50, 60,000 miles a year sometimes, depending on, on their area that they're servicing. So we've got to, you know, have people that are driving carefully. I get phone calls all the time. Um, if somebody sees one of my vehicles that's not doing something, or I shouldn't say all the time. I mean, I'm yeah, yeah. you're wanna, making it sound like I don't want it to I'm sound like I got a bunch terrible. of a bunch of reckless drivers out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but just more than you would like. Uh, yeah, and and I mean, one call is, is is one too many is the way I look at it. Our, you know, I, I remind my guys all the time: you're driving a rolling billboard. My name is plastered on the side of it. The phone number's on the side of it. If someone sees you doing something wrong, they're going to call, and I'm going to know about it. On my way here, I saw one of your trucks um, pulling up to pump gas at a gas station. Right. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, I've got 15 trucks on the road. They're, you know, they, they cover a lot of territory and they're different sizes. The, the, you know, they stand and they're painted bright orange, white, and black. Mm -hmm. And they're that color for a reason. They stand out and, and we want them to stand out for good reasons. We want people to notice them, just not for their erratic driving. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All right. So let's, um, I think we digressed a little bit. You, Sorry. No, I, I do that all the time. I'm like the worst. I have the worst ADD in the world. <laughs> um, you you talked about how you got some, you you know you got relicensed right or, or well, you, you have guys? to be you have to be licensed as a certified operator which I am every company that operates out there has a certified operator in charge of the office that that business is being run out of mm -hmm. a bigger company like like a Massey Services has multiple offices so they have to have a certified operator for every one of those offices that they're operating as a smaller company I only have one office so I only need one certified operator me I happen to have three of them that work for me um, which helps me because it gives us more credibility mm -hmm. um, in that we have more well-trained people to re rely back on. What's that, what is that differentiating line between wh why is Massey a lot larger and needs a certified operator for every office versus you saying I'm smaller, so I just need one? What, what's that defining line? Well, again, every office has to have a certified operator. So Massey is, has built a company that They've chosen to to take an, uh, and challenge the larger companies where they have, I guess, 130 or 140 offices throughout the areas that they cover. 
they are in multiple states, just like a you know, and there and there's nothing wrong with a big company, um, but sometimes you get better service from a smaller company. Smaller company is going to give you more personalized service. Things aren't always cookie cutter. We have more flexibility to to digress from one thing to another to make the situ what we're doing fit the situation we're dealing with. A big company like that, everything's very cookie cutter. They want everybody doing the same thing. They want it all done the same way. And that doesn't always work for people, you know, in in the in the real world. Given you, for example, when I first met you, you were having some uh, multiple different issues in your house, mm-hmm. and we did more than just kill the termites. Mm-hmm. We also got up in your attic and made sure the the insulation was was clean and fresh mm-hmm. because of the rodent contamination. We made sure all the holes were sealed up so they couldn't get rodents get back in there. Larger companies don't like doing stuff like that. They like to stay away from things that are different and that are difficult sometimes to do they want it to be simple and easy and because they feel they can make more money doing it that way so well i mean that and that that was one of the things and i mean now that we're just kind of already talking about that textbook you should stay in your lane that's what textbook says in terms of business i think that our relationship began I, i think i was looking for just pest control because i bought this really old house and Right. There's roaches because we live in Florida, totally normal. Right. And so I, I don't remember how we actually ended up connecting, but the point is that I had, and then when, um, I realized I had termites, I think I took a picture and sent it to you via text. And right. I think that's one thing I appreciate that, you know, if I was dealing with a Massey, I don't think that I would feel comfortable texting anybody at Massey, but, but well, you never you, know what you're going to get back mm-hmm. because you're, you're at, the mercy of the person that's taking care of your house. Right. If he's new and untrained, right. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get a, a generic answer that maybe he knows or maybe he doesn't, and maybe he doesn't even get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, as a yeah. as a smaller company, as the owner, and you having my number directly, right. You could text me, and if I don't know it, I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna get yeah. back to you. And there's, you know, I don't know everything, yeah. and I'll be the first one to say that. But I've surrounded myself with a lot of good people right. who do know other things that I don't know. And I will reach out to one of those people that work for me yeah. or one of the people that I've developed a relationship with to get that answer for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to say something really weird too, <laughs> but, um, and I, I, again, I, I cannot remember the exact details of my journey of hiring a pest control company, but when I found out what you guys charge, I remember thinking, this is really reasonable. Like I can afford this right. and it's quarterly. It's, it's a pretty low, totally manageable fee. I think a lot of other companies are charging a lot more. And I, I have asked myself on occasion, how does, how do they make money? Cause it's not expensive to hire you. So you guys are, are, you know, making money on volume plus additional special projects that you take on. True. So, so, so just to stay back in line, like when I had termites, I sent you, I'm sure I sent you a picture cause that's just how I, I operate. I'm sure. And you were, and I'm, and I'm sure you were back, you have termites. And I'm sure I said, all right, do you recommend, who do you recommend, um, if for I remember this? right, you had drywood termites and you didn't want to tent your house. You wanted to know if there was another way to deal with it. And we ended up. Yeah. We talked about the Bora care, what, but we'll, we'll get that. Yeah. Do that in a second. So I asked you, you know, do you do, and, and I remember you saying, yeah, we can do the tenting. And I remember thinking, that's weird. I didn't realize that they did termites and tenting. Right. And then I was like, okay, well, yeah, give me a quote. And then I remember I collected quotes from other companies. And then, yes, when we started getting into the details of it, then you explained the alternative of, was it Bora Care? Mm-hmm. 
that so boracare is kind of like a spray that you apply to the wood Correct. to prevent it from having recurrences. And because the, the house was old and it had like all this old um, insulation, I, th- I then asked you, well, wait a second. If we're going to tent the house, I want I want the wood to be treated because I plan on living on this house for a long time. So I want right. I don't want to be doing this every year. Like this is not sustainable. Like I'm not into this. And then I asked you, would it be possible to have all of the insulation removed for you guys to, you know, tent the house, remove all the insulation, treat the wood with Boracare and then spray in brand new insulation. And you said, yes, we can do that for you. Now, from my perspective, I'm thinking, well, that's, if they can actually do it, that's great. Cause then I don't have to coordinate with all these multiple people from a business perspective, just textbook business. I would say that's kind of dangerous. And I want to pick your brain, not dangerous, but like whenever you start like involving other things, now the project's a little bit complicated because now, so now, now you have, so now there's the tenting, then now you have like who's going to be so doing the Boracare. So, so explain to me how so you break down that project. They're in your all mind. interrelated though. So, and I mean, it all kind of connects together and that you, you the end result is we're trying to kill the termites and keep them from coming back into your house. So in order to be able to do that, there's a certain amount of that work that if it's easy enough for us to, to bundle it together and take care of it, just like I said, you know, that we're multi, we're licensed in multiple categories, um, termites, pest, lawn, so on. It's the same thing when we're taking care of a house. If if I can take care of all of those things for you, why should I make it hard for you to have to go out and look for different people to do all those things when I can do them for you? Now, with regards to the, the work that we did on your house, with the exception of the tent work itself, we do all that work in-house with our own people. Mm-hmm. The tenting gets a little more involved, so we do subcontract that out to another mm-hmm. company that mm-hmm. specializes in that type of work. Mm-hmm. And there's a handful of companies around that that's what they do. They subcontract to companies like mine to do that type of work, and that's all they do. They don't deal with people on a retail basis directly, and they don't devil, uh, delve off into other parts of the pest control industry. They just tent houses because that's what they, they like to do. But the other part of it you know, is... You know, just like with, you know, doing the pest control and doing the termites, I'm licensed to do it. I've been trained through the state. So there's there's different avenues for me to be able to help you as a customer and for me to make money, you know, as a businessman as well. And as long as it doesn't get too far outside the lane, you know, I, I, I try to, you know. You can do it. Do it together. Yeah. The, the insulation thing is something that kind of started up about 10 or 15 years ago. There's a company out of Georgia that actually manufactures this insulation. It's a special insulation called TAP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stands for Thermal Acoustical Pest Control Insulation. It is a cellulose product. It's basically old newspapers that are being recycled and ground up into an insulation product. And then it's treated with a boric acid product um, to give it that pest control property. It also helps make it fireproof, and it does help with in, uh, sound barriers and noise uh, dampening. Mm-hmm. Uh as well, so it it, it kind of fits with the pest control industry. Um, they developed this, like I said, up in Georgia and started introducing it, and it's kind of caught on. And a lot of companies are starting to do that now. Um, we got in luckily earlier, and um, have grown it with our within our business that we have. You know, a, a crew that's all they do is insulation work now. So you have a crew that that's all that they do. Yep, they'll go in and remove old contaminated insulation. 
they'll do the uh, treatment for the border care if needed. Or sometimes if it's a rodent situation, we disinfect and sanitize the attic for germs and, and uh, you know, rodent uh, feces and urine and stuff and neutralize all of that. And then we'll blow the new fresh insulation in um, and make the house almost like new again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you should see my face. I'm like, you're talking about feces and urine on my face. is like, Ugh. Yeah, there's certain parts of our industry that are are not always very very nice, but yeah, you know that's that's the reason our industry exists in some in some cases. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that is definitely like my agency. We're smaller. We do step outside of bounds sometimes if we if we have if we know we can definitely. Um, and I don't mean step out of bounds in a bad way, but like, like you said, if it's manageable and you have the contacts and you can figure out the logistics and yes, it helps you make ex- a little bit of extra money and it helps. It's a convenience for the client. Absolutely. Whereas you're right. A, a larger company like Massey or, and just, I mean, I'm sorry that we keep mentioning this one particular, That's just okay. any, any large organization, the, the larger they get in order for them to function, they have to have pretty tightly bound systems and procedures and right. to uh, avoid liability. They cannot do that kind of uh, creative outside of drawing outside of the lines type thing. Exactly. I mean, you're in advertising, so you don't stick with just print advertising or radio advertising or television advertising. You delve in all three. And whatever's best, whatever's for, the best for the client. And right. so that's the same thing we do. We kind of have a menu of what we can all interrelated. Mm-hmm all pest control related. So this is what works best for the client and we'll give them options. Um, one of the new things that's been coming up in the last few years is mosquito control. The counties are not doing mosquito control as, as diligently as they used to. So it's becoming more something that private industry is having to take on. And again, it's interrelated with what we do as pest control operators. So, you know, we can, we can, it's part of our licensing. We don't have to have any special licensing for it and we can go out and evaluate a house we can learn what, you know, what situations create mosquito environments, why they like to breed in certain areas and, and not others. Um, and then there's ways that we've de- that have been developed to be able to come out and treat houses, how often they should be treated. Um, it's a year-round type of program depending on where you live. The further south you go, the more it is year-round. When we go a little further north, you can take the winter months off. We have a nine-month program we run in the counties that we take care of to the north of here, such as Hernando, Pasco, and Citrus, and Marion County, um, because they don't need it as much in the wintertime. When you get down here in Hillsborough, Pinellas, and Polk County, it's a little more, we have a little more warmer weather through the winter, so mosquitoes tend to be more of a problem, so it's more of a year-round type of a program. I heard um, through the grapevine that um, the, the city or the county was talking about um, doing f- neighborhood fumigation when I, I grew up in Puerto Rico and that was totally normal. Like I remember hearing the truck outside and, you know, they were fumigating the entire neighborhood. Depending on the county, they still do that some. Um, some counties are more diligent than others. And, and I remember first moving to Florida, seeing the trucks go down the street in, in the county where I lived, which was Pasco at the time. Mm. Um, and remember that happening down in, in Lee County in Fort Myers, I remember going down there and working for my dad and it sounded like we were being invaded. I was in the office one morning about 6.30 in the morning and it sounded like a, a um, an air attack from a foreign country. They actually have um, jets that, uh, or 
old World War II airplanes that do mosquito control. Oh my God, that just dropped. They drop chemical over the areas um, that are, because they have a lot of water down there, a lot of canals, a lot of standing water, and, and it was the best way to treat it. They, they have a very state-of-the-art mosquito program down in, in Lee County. Um, it actually surprised me how much they did down there. But the first time I, I experienced it, it was like overwhelming. I didn't. I didn't expect that these big planes were basically flying wingtip to wingtip. Yeah, right off the you know right off the treetops, basically. Jesus, sounds sounds crazy. How do you build your book of business from scratch? So for me, I've been lucky that you know my dad taught me that it's basically a people business. It's a it's a customer service business. The pest control part of it is only a small part of it. Killing the bugs is only a small part of it, I should say. Um, you take care of people. You learn to listen to what they need and give them what they want as opposed to just trying to shove something down their throat because that's what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And most of my businesses come from referrals mm -hmm. and from people that I know that I've developed relationships with over the years that I still have customers that are my customers now that were my customers when my dad had his business and they followed me around and they've called me when they've had problems and they've, wherever I were, they were willing to go and, and be my customer. If you were starting from scratch, if you came into a new market and you were starting from scratch, what would be your new business development strategy? Um, get involved with the chamber of commerce, get yourself in, in places where you can meet a lot of people. Um, be diligent about knocking on doors. Don't be afraid to take no for an answer. Um, you go through a lot of no's before you get a yes. What, what does that look like when you knock on a door? What do you say to people? Um, it's changed over the years because um, COVID has, a, has had a lot to do with that. People are a little more reluctant to open doors. Mm -hmm. But basically, you know, when I started doing it, I was taught if you're servicing this house, knock on the doors of the houses around where you're doing it. It's, it's called cloverleafing. It's, it's an age-old sales tactic that's okay. used. Um, just talk to the people. Let them know that... You do service for Mrs. Jones next door. She's had some issues with termites or pest control or has her lawn sprayed or whatever it is. Would you be interested in talking about having yours done? Okay. Some people are, some people aren't. Some people want to know what does it cost. If it strikes up their interest, you know, you want to start a conversation. The more conversations you can have going, the more likely you're going to get something out of it as a business. Yeah. Um, but again, don't don't discount anything as a potential source for a client. You'll never know where that next customer is coming from. Everybody's a potential client. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, you know, closed myself off to anything. Yeah. I go into a restaurant, I'll leave a card behind. Right. I see a bulletin board, I'll hang a card up on a bulletin board. Um, I get calls because of my trucks. I, you know, marketing is a big thing. That's your part. Mm -hmm. But, you know, branding is how you brand yourself is important. Make sure your trucks are uniform and clean. Make sure your drivers are uniform and clean, wear the same clothes. Make sure they're doing a good job. Make sure they communicate with their customers well. Don't be afraid to ask for a referral. I know when we did yours, your neighbor across the street came out, and then we ended up doing his house as well because, you know, he came over, said, what are you doing? We got into a conversation, and he ended up having the same needs you had and, and needing his house taken care of. How, how do you handle it? I mean, you almost answered it, but, like, you do residential, commercial, and industrial. That's another, like from a marketer in my brain, I'm kind of like, that's a red flag. How do you spread yourself so thin? But you just explained to me and I just realized bugs are everywhere. Bugs are everywhere. And everybody needs, like, this is one of those, you're like the few Coca-Cola of the world where like the target really is everywhere. 
<laughs> well, I mean, in, it, it in is. Some ways. <laughs> and you could specialize. There's guys that specialize in certain things. Um, you mentioned Wayne earlier when I came in. Mm -hmm. and, and Wayne does just pest Wait, control Wayne. now. So Wayne used to be, because we didn't talk about it. I don't think we were recording. Uh, Wayne used to be the uh, pest control guy assigned to my house. Yeah, we and call him technicians. Technician. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he was always very nice, very kind, always spoke so highly of you. And that's how I knew you had a really solid culture. Right. But and Wayne, and Wayne is a certified operator, one of the certified operators that worked for me. He was only certified in general pest control, okay. only one of the four categories. His situation changed. His father passed away, left him a little bit of money, um, left him a truck. And he decided that he wanted to work for himself. It's something that he'd always wanted to do. And if you ever hear Wayne's story, he, he's got quite a story behind him and, and he's gone through a lot. He's a veteran, which we thank him for his service. But as a veteran, when he came home from, from fighting overseas and he was over in Iraq, he went through a lot that a lot of veterans go through. He was homeless for a while. He had uh, a lot of challenges to overcome and he met a good woman. He's now married. He has children. He's, he's like you know, a wonderful really human turned being. his life yeah. around. And so when he came to me and he said, look, I want to do something more. I'm looking about leaving and going on my own. My dad passed away. I've got this opportunity. What do you think? I told him, by all means, I'm going to help anybody that I can better their situation if, I, if I'm in the position to do that. Mm -hmm. I said, if you need advice, come to me. I'll help you out. Um, the only thing I ask is be respectful. Don't take my customers. Sure. And he's done that. Yeah. He's gone out. He's found his own set of customers. He's called me for advice. He's actually sent business my way when it was a job that was too big that he didn't want to mess with. Um, but where I was going is he specializes just in pest control. He doesn't mess with termites. He doesn't mess with grass. He doesn't mess with any of that other stuff. Mm. He's, he's, he chooses to stay in his lane. Mm -hmm. He wants a small company that he does all the work mm -hmm. and it's just him. It's that's his DNA. That's what he's like. He's, and he's happy there. My DNA has always been for something bigger. My dad, I used to drive him crazy when I worked for him because I used to bring us into different areas and that's how we ended up in all these different markets and with these different offices because I said, we can do more. I want a bigger company. I guess you asked me how come companies like Massey and Terminix get big like they do. I mean, somebody is there driving that, wanting wanting more out of it for whatever reason. And and that's always been kind of me. I've, I've always been looking for the next thing to do. I look for, you know, I've, I've gotten into the insulation for the same reason. I got into, I did tent work for a while. I actually physically did it for, for about 10 years when my dad had his company. I, I wasn't afraid of the challenges. Um, I, I always welcomed them. I always needed those challenges to keep me growing, to, to help me as a person grow. Um, some people like to be on the assembly line, just you know, working with their, with their widgets, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but some people, they want more than that, and I guess I'm one of those people. Can you, can you, so, I mean, it sounds like you have the shiny object syndrome that a lot of on, entrepreneurs have. And I certainly, <laughs> I've never heard it called that, but I guess oh so. Oh my God. Well, okay. <laughs> I, it takes one to know one. Um, you can ask Maria and my team. She's like my right hand person. Who's also like part-time therapist for me where, where I'm like, Maria, I have this idea. What if da, 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 and then we do this and then we can charge for that. And what do you think? And da, 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 da. So sounds like you've got that, a little bit of that, a which is bit. totally normal, totally normal. Richard Branson has it, like, you know, just, it's normal. Tell me about an experience where you ventured off into something that turned out to be a shit show and you are, you deeply regretted and you were like, I really should have stayed, you know, 
in, in the safe zone? Um, well, I mean, things happen sometimes. I mean, I can't think of something specific that comes to mind that, that I would say put me there. Um, sometimes we get a little too far out of our area. So maybe we take on a job that we, we've lost. I, I mean, I've taken on jobs that I've lost money on because maybe it was a little more than I, than I anticipated it being. Um, but for the, you know, for the most part, I, I, you know, I find that I just look at it as a bigger challenge. You know, I've taken on contracts like we do the city of Tampa right now and all of their buildings within the city limits. It's some 300 buildings or so that they, they have that we manage for them. That's for their um, pest congratulations. And, and it's, it, but it's quite an undertaking to organize and put something together where you've got the people to be able to make sure everything is covered. And, and mostly one person does most of those buildings but it's getting it put together in the right way. And it's, it could be overwhelming if you look at it. So, I mean, I've, I've always looked at, at things like that as, as just challenges. Let's, mm-hmm. let's jump in with both feet and let's figure it out. Problems to be solved. Problems to be solved. Now, I used to do some sod work. Maybe that's something that, that I, I was a little out of my lane and I, mm-hmm. and I got out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I realized it was logistically difficult to, to manage. It took a lot of people. Um, I know when I worked for my dad, we did lawn mowing for a while as part of our business. That was, again, something that was a little too far out that's, of our lane. I was going to say that's kind of, yeah. It was hard getting people to, to do that type of work and, and having and a lot of equipment issues. And, and we did that for a while and then got away from it because it was just, you know, we figured out it was just not something we needed to be doing. That was not not within our realm of what mm-hmm. we were good at and we couldn't be good at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a perfect example. Yeah. So you got to be willing to look at things, I guess, and say, yeah, this works and no, that doesn't. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. to cut loose the stuff that doesn't. And- right, right. For us, um, the, the stuff that I've kind of realized I need to be very cautious about is if I can control, like how much control do I have over the final output? Right. And, and, and that's where, cause I've, you know, I have people who are like, oh, can you, you know, get t-shirts done or can you do, you know, just stuff that, you know, the car wrapping or stuff like that. It's just kind of like, so right. I, over time you start to learn like, oh yeah, we, I can help you with that up until here. And then at this point I, you know, you need to go with the specialist or whatever. Cause right. you know, when it comes to covering such a huge geographical area, how do you figure out the logistics? Cause you've got your headquarters in Spring Hill. People are driving all the way, all over town, all the way down to Manatee. Yeah. We cover down into, on a regular basis, we go into the North Manatee County, like Parrish and, and Ellington and That's that area. That's really far South from Spring Hill. But we have people that live in areas that are close. I have three guys that live in the Pinellas, St. Petersburg area. I have a, a Kristen who now takes care of your house, lives here in Tampa. Um, we let them take their vehicles home. We give them their paperwork usually a couple of weeks at a time so they don't need to come to the office every day. They only come up there once or twice a month. Um, they get supplies that they need. I mean, it's a type of business that if you have good people can be run remotely. Um, technology has allowed us to be able to do things where we use a Google Calendar. Everybody has it on their phone so they can look at their calendar and see what they have to do. We can send messages via email. We can send messages by putting things on their calendars. Text messages makes it easy. Most people are, when they pay for their services, are paying with a credit card now, so that could be handled very easily over the phone mm-hmm. um, and, and through um, devices on their on handheld phones and things like that, iPads and what have you. So they're not all having to come into the office every day. We don't have to have um, 15 people there twice a day coming in and picking up and dropping off. Right. 
it, and, you know, it could be done a lot easier that way. I have a, a, a guy that lives in Orlando that does the Orlando work for me over there. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of the people that work for me do live in the Spring Hill area, but the ones that, that work outside of that area, live outside that area, makes it easier. It sounds like you're, you know, especially with the remote thing, you're, you know, you're, you're training them for three weeks. You're giving them a vehicle with supplies that they can, you know, refresh whenever they need. And then you have all these satellite people that are kind of located geographically in certain areas and they're assigned a certain territory and certain accounts that they go take care of. Correct. They, you know, some guys do pest control like Wayne did pest control. Mm -hmm. And that's primarily what he did for us. And if there is a termite problem, we have another person that will handle the termite problem. If the lawn needs sprayed, then we have a different person that that's all they do is spray lawns and, and they, they, they get their work every day. It's geographically routed there and within what the realm of what they do. And they're taught other things so that they can recognize other issues and, and it'll benefit them and the company and the customer because we want to be able to tell you, hey, we've noticed this problem. Mm -hmm. This problem can be taken care of, but I'll have to have somebody else come out and do it for you. Right. But it's still within the realm of what the company takes care of. So the company benefits in that respect as well. What training cadence do you have? Because it sounds like these people are now remote. Are you doing like a once a month remote training? Um, how are you educating? Once a month, we have meetings in the office at the beginning of each month, and we'll discuss certain specific issues. Um, we'll pick a different topic each month. Like one month we may talk about roaches. Um, one month we may talk about green grass. We may talk about termites, depending on the time of year, what's becoming mm -hmm. an issue at that time. Um, we will do occasional in-house training where we'll have somebody from outside come in, like we talked about earlier, vendors or manufacturer representatives, and we'll we'll put a special training class together or, or we'll get together and, and the FPMA does their training meetings that we talked about. Those are usually in the evening, their dinner meetings, which we'll get together for continuing education. And they're usually done four or five, six times a year. And we try to take advantage of those. So we're always trying to teach our people, but we're also encouraging them to learn on their own. Um, there's books available. There's online courses that are available. Um, you learn just from doing sometimes and coming across different situations because although two houses may look exactly alike side by side, they're not unique. Mm -hmm. um, they each have their own set of problems and issues. You know, it could be a housekeeping issue. It could be a, a environmental issue, whether, you know, weather affects what happens a lot with us, um, whether it's rainy or dry or, or hot or cold, it's going to have an effect on the insect mm -hmm. activity and what we're dealing with. Yeah. When it, when it rains a lot, I see a lot more, um, animals like insects inside my house and right. I, I, I know that gets them more active normal. when it's raining. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're seeking you know, dry land. Yep. You mentioned um, housekeeping. Um, I know Wayne has made little comments about how like, you know, they've had some people keep calling them out and he kind of goes into the house and he's kind of like, well, you're leaving out all this food for, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that? I, I tell people that it, it, especially so in the restaurant type of accounts that we take care of, but it's true in residential accounts as well. 80% of good pest control is good sanitation, mm -hmm. making sure you take the trash out, making sure you clean up spills on the floor, making sure you keep the countertops clean. Don't leave dirty dishes in the sink. The The neater and the cleaner that your house is, the less issues you're going to have with insects because the less alternative foods there are out there. And, you know, most insects, when we're, we're killing insects, we're killing them either through uh, something they ingest or something they absorb through their body. If they crawl across the surface, it's treated, they absorb it through their body. That's That's one thing. 
But if the area is greasy and dirty, any pesticide that's put down there is going to absorb into that grease and be less effective against the pesticide, uh, the, the pest that's the target. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's alternative food sources out there, such as crumbs, food scraps, things like that, water, mm-hmm. um, then the insects are not going to look for for it. They're going to because they've got plenty of it available to them. But if you clean it up and you don't make it available to them, then they're going to go looking for those things and what they're going to find are the products that we put out, yeah. whether it be a gel bait or a dust or something like that, or maybe a, a sticky trap to get caught in. Or I remember I, I, I had forgotten about this, but it's kind of a funny, sad story. Um, we have, there's a door in the garage with this huge opening, right? And so we know securing open gaps around your house is one of the ways that you can control pests coming in. Correct. Um, but we have, it's a huge, it's a complicated door. So anyways, uh, we, um, we're, we have one of those, the washing machine that has kind of like the kickstand at the bottom. Right. And so one time I was running the kickstand and like water started coming out everywhere. And my husband decided that he was going to try to fix it himself, see what the issue was. And it turned out that, um, one of the rubber tubes was being chewed by like a rodent, presumably looking for water. Probably. Okay. So he, he fixed (laughs) adventures in in marriage. He fixes it. He, he puts everything back and then like two weeks later leak again. And I'm like, Chris, we did not kill the rat. Like there's a rat, there's a rat that, that that thinks that like, this is a, a water source for him. We need to kill the rat. And I don't remember how the conversation went down. I ended up just purchasing on Amazon, um, like a, a package of like rat poison that I'm supposed to like crumbled it up and like, whatever, put it, put it around and whatever. So I received this giant box of poison and I read the instructions and I'm like, oh my God, this seems like so intense. And like, I've got this dog in the house and I've got, you know, I didn't really think this through. So I just grab the box. I stick it inside the, the garage and I move on with my life. Next thing I know, Chris comes in and, and says, I think the rat got to the, <laughs> to the bait and, and killed himself basically. Like, and we resolved the problem because he killed himself. I, w- I would caution people against doing that though. Um, and I know there's a lot of ways for people to do their own pest control. Amazon makes it really easy. You can get a lot of the same products that we use on Amazon. I, you know, it's it's just a fact. It is what it is. What you're paying us for by hiring a pest control professional is our experience and our knowledge to be able to take care of your problem and do it in a safe manner that's safe to you, your family, and your pets. If you had put that poison out and one of your dogs had gotten into it or a cat had gotten into it or worse, your baby had gotten into it. There's no telling the effects that could have had. You you definitely want to you know bring something like that to your to the attention of whoever's taking care of your house. In your case, it would be us. We would go out there. We would set traps in areas where they would be hard for the animals and for the children to get to catch the the rodent. The other thing about putting poison out is if the rodent gets into it and goes off and dies somewhere where you can't get to it. It's going to create a secondary problem with an odor as it rots and, and decays. I have a question because um, I've found dead possums and dead animals in my backyard. We found a dead owl, which is like so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I we we always like I pick it up with a shovel and we throw it, uh, uh, you know, like in the 
we just throw it really far away, like in the middle, basically in the middle of nowhere. Um, okay. Uh, it, it's called easement. Maybe it's like the, that, that channel. You've got like a wooded area behind you, don't you? Kind of. Yeah. But then there's like this, there's a little gate that goes into this like hallway, (laughs) grass hallway that I, that I think is for the city. doesn't really belong to me or any of my neighbors. It's just kind of like in the middle of both properties. So that's where we just kind of throw all the dead animals. But I've always wondered, um, if one of, if one of those animals had been poisoned, let's say by rat poison and, uh, then another animal comes and munches on them. Do, do does that secondary animal also get poisoned and die? It is possible. It depends on what poisoned the animal to begin with. There are certain rat poisons out there that will cause secondary poisoning to other animals, and there are some that are not. Um, so it depends on which which poison was being used and how it was used. Um, I would always recommend if you have a dead animal like that, you either bury it or dispose of it through an incinerator by you know, put it in a bag and put it in your trash. Let the let it go to the landfill. Don't just dump it somewhere. That's not always a good way to do it because then something else could end up being affected by it. It could also bring other issues as they decay and rot. Um, they could create germs. They could create other you know problems that could you know manifest itself and cause. Put it in you. a bag. Yeah, put it in a bag. And then put it in the trash. Put it in the trash or dig a hole and bury it. That's what I would recommend. Okay. But okay. if you have a problem in, inside your structure, call a professional, let him deal with it. Right. So we should have called you. You would have put traps. And, then and we would have recommended you, you would... put some sort of a weather stripping on the bottom of the door because that's probably how he got in. Yeah, that door is really complicated. We're, that's another story for another day. Um, Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> Tell me about like a difficult past situation where, you know, you got called out, you, you know, and you just had to keep coming back or it just... Okay, so we, we run into this quite a bit, actually. And a lot of the times it's because we're not getting full cooperation of the person that we're doing the treatments for. When we go into a house or a nursing home or a restaurant and we're treating for roaches or ants or bed bugs, um, we need a certain amount of cooperation on the part of the person we're doing the work for. In the case of like a, a nursing home or an apartment community where there's bed bugs in a house, bed bugs are... are, are becoming more and more of a problem and they there are a number of ways to treat them but you can't spray people's clothing you can't spray their bedding so those things need to be treated though and taken care of and, uh, so that the bed bugs that may be within the the clothing or within the the bedding are killed the only way to do that is to make sure that they bag that material up take it to a, a commercial laundry and put it in a dryer Heat will kill the bed bugs. Um, you could put the clothes and you could put like children's plush toys sometimes are, are an you, issue. When you say a commercial, do, do you mean like a, take it to a laundromat or like take a laundromat, it to like, yeah. oh, okay. So go to a laundromat. Put it in a dryer because most people's home dryers are not big enough. Um, you can go there, get a big dryer, put everything in there, run it through the dryer cycle. You don't have to wash it. The heat will kill the bed bugs and the eggs that may be in the, in there. And then you can have someone come in and properly treat the other parts of the room where the bed bugs are found. And you have to take the bed apart. You have to treat the underside of the mattress, the underside of the back box spring, the back of the headboard, under the furniture sometimes. You have to really inspect and, and make sure you get to all the cracks and crevices if you've ever seen how small a bed bug is. And their eggs are even that much smaller. You Amazon know. sells these like fully and these uh, mattress covers that'll fully encapsulate, and they promise to keep bed bugs from going in or out. Is that 
false? Is that accurate? It's not entirely accurate. A, a mattress cover or a mattress encasement is a good idea because it, it takes away all those little cracks and crevices and, and areas where the bed bugs can hide and lay their eggs. You know, if you ever look at a mattress and all the intricacies with the tufts around the edges and things like that, those are good areas for the bed bugs to hide. If you put a, an encasement around it, it makes smooth surfaces, that, then there's no way for the bed bugs to nest in or on the mattress itself. Okay. It'll also contain whatever is already on the mattress okay. within the mattress, but it's not going to solve your problem 100% because that's not the only place the bed bugs are. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's only treating part of the problem. So you you end up having to come back and retreat and retreat and it just continues. Exactly. And and from a finance from a pricing financial standpoint, at what point and how do you explain to the client we need to start treat, charging you because it's not that our stuff isn't working, it's that you're not complying with the treatment. That's a really tough conversation. How do you have that conversation? Um, sometimes you just have to do that. You have to just have that tough conversation. You have to be willing to say, look. I need your help here. We need to make sure this place is cleaned up properly in order to solve this problem. First of all, the treatment's not cheap. And if you're going to spend that kind of money, you're going to want to make sure it works and works properly. So that part of it kind of helps itself. When I walk into your house and I tell you it's $600 to treat just one room and each additional room is another $300. Is that what it costs? Ballpark, yeah. For bed bugs? For bed bugs. Holy. It you know it depends on the size of the room and the work involved, but yeah, that's in that ball. I mean that people get motivated to do it right because they don't want to cut, and there's no guarantee. I guarantee it till the time I walk out the door, because bed bugs will be reintroduced if you're not finding the source or you're not following all the procedures. We give them a checklist that they have to sign off on that says that they'll do it, and if we show up to the house and they haven't completed the checklist, we reschedule the job. We won't do the work because it's, we know it's not going to work. We're not going to waste our time or your money right. doing something that's going to be ineffective. All right. And that kind of ans- it starts to answer. So one of the questions I've always had for you is how do they make money? Because you you charge, it's, I hope you don't mind me saying, but it's under $100 every quarter to come do quarterly pest control. And whenever I've had uh, pests inside the house, I just say, hey, um, I, I need inside treatment. And then you guys come and- it's time and for materials. no extra charge. You guys treat inside. So wait, I'm not. I'm not done with my the my real question. So it's so okay. you're doing a good job at helping me prevent from have you know from having um, problems in the first place. So you know, there's a subscription model of okay, well, this person's going to pay me X amount of money quarterly for us to maintain. But then I I know you make extra money from additional special projects like the one I had. But, but if you're doing a good job maintaining my house, you're not. I'm, we're not going to run into me having to give you $600 to treat a room. How do you balance that out? How does your business model work financially? So what we try to do is, is get your, your situation to a point where it is a maintenance type of a program. There's usually an initial charge to come in and do the work the first time. So if it's a, it's a general pest service, for example, our pricing right now starts at $225 to come in and do an initial clean-out service. So we'll come through, we'll do whatever work we need to do on the interior and exterior of your house to get rid of your problems that may exist. And then it goes on a maintenance program. If we've done it right, it's an outside-only service because most of your pest problems start outside work their way in. So if we can spend most of our time working on the outside of your house, preventing those insects from getting in, whether it be sweeping down 
um, the eaves and knocking down the spider webs or the wasp nests or caulking around a, a, a water spigot where insects may be able to intrude and prevent them from getting in your house or doing just a barrier treatment around the house to keep the occasional invaders that start outside and work their way in, then I don't have to spend any time or material treating inside your house. We know that the cost of those materials are going to be X. The amount of time it's going to take to do that is going to be Y. And we need to get so much per hour in order to compensate ourselves for that labor. And we put those together and that's how you, you figure out what, what you need to have. And everybody's model is a little bit different. And you'll find that actually you're getting a pretty good deal because we haven't passed on increases in our industry yeah, to I've our been existing with you customers. Forever, yeah. <laughs> our new customers are paying about $120 a quarter okay. on a quarterly service. But and we've that's still very fair. And we've even made it easier for them to be able to afford that by putting it on a subscription where they pay $40 a month. Oh, nice. Even though we only come out every three months and do the service. Yeah. That way they don't have to worry about how to figure out to come up with $120 all at one time because $40 a month is a lot easier to budget. Mm-hmm. And but they're still getting the benefit of the quarterly service. And thank you for grandfathering me in, because uh, <laughs> you could have. And I think that's another thing of like going with a small company, you know, family-owned company versus right. a giant corporation, um, where there are little niceties like that. Yeah, if you're with a large company, whatever that company may be, they're going to do a generic across-the-board price increase on a regular basis. And I know I've taken over customers that were with larger companies. The only reason they changed, it wasn't they were getting bad service. They were tired of getting a price increase every year. Yes. It would go up 6 8 10% every year. You start out with a reasonable price of, say, $90 a quarter. Yeah. The next thing you know, you're paying $230 yes. a quarter for the same service. Yes. And the only thing they've done is increased your price. They haven't Correct. changed anything else in the system. We try not to, as a smaller company, pass those costs along to everybody if we don't have to. We do increase our costs to our newer customers certain times of the year. And in the 10 years that I've been in business as Citarella Termite, I've done price increases three times. And it depends on, on it not always to the entire business either. It depends on the section of the business that where it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Like the lawn, lawn products have gone up considerably. We've, we've been hit with over 30% increases over the last few years and material costs for our lawn care products. Mm -hmm. So we've had to pass some of that along to all of our lawn customers, unfortunately. And our basic lawn services went from $50 to $55 or $60 now per service. And it just, it was a necessity. I mean, it's the only way you can uh, stay in business. You've got to manage that to where you, you, at the end of the day, we still need to be profitable. Mm -hmm. We try to give a good service. We try to be reasonable. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we still need to be able to make money too. Your guys aren't spending that much time, you know, at my house. So when you add it all collectively, you know, it's, it's, you know, probably fine and fair. And, um, and I, again, that's the big advantage of being a small family owned company that you can make those calls and say, you know what, we don't need to raise it here. So let's not raise it. Let's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And route density helps too. I mean, we do your house, we do your neighbor's house, picking up, like I said, the city of Tampa is one of our accounts helped us with route density because now Mm -hmm. Kristen, who works this area, is busy all the time within a very small radius of where she lives to be able to service most of her accounts. She doesn't have to travel outside city limits to take care of those. So, you know, you try to build your routes within the areas of where the people are Mm -hmm. and keep them close together. And that's what makes them profitable as well. Because instead of being able to do 
one house every hour. Now she's able to do maybe three houses every hour. Exactly. And so now we're, we've increased her productivity exactly. without having to increase her windshield time or, or extend the hours that she works. Exactly. Exactly. It's very smart. So there's a lot of logistics involved. Do you put GPS trackers in your car? We in do. Your vehicles? And, and it's funny because years ago when, when I first started to learn about GPS trackers, I was still working for my dad. And I said to myself and I said to my dad, we don't need that because if we can't trust our people, we don't need them. But I've come to find, and, and as a business owner, I look at things from a different perspective now. And a GPS tracker is not there necessarily to check on the people. It's more there for accountability and verification. It helps me know my people are doing the right thing. If a customer ever questions whether or not my guy was at their house, I could pull up the GPS tracker and say, well, the GPS shows me that they were there from 1040 to 1130. Mm-hmm. More than enough time to adequately do the service that we provide for you. And, you know, I can show that I can actually do a printout and send it to the customer if they ask for it. And, you know, show that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and that they're where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So it also helps with vehicle maintenance because it tracks things like oil and gas usage and things like that. So it helps us you know, keep our vehicles safe and keep our vehicles up, up to date. We try to keep all that stuff. You, you know, you have to track all that stuff anymore. I mean, do you have somebody in charge of like collecting all the data and preparing reports for you? Or does that the company that does the GPS provide that data for you? The GPS company provides that data. There's a, there's a, a tab on the, on the app that we have that we can pull up different reports and it'll give us different information. Um, some of my office staff, I have managers that work for me that are in charge of certain things. Um, you talked about how I keep people accountable for what they do and you know, over such a big area, and, and that's how you do that. I have you know, some managers that they're responsible for tracking certain people that work for me, and, and those technicians report to that manager. And, and, you know, and then you, if you get into a bigger company like we were talking about earlier with multiple offices, those offices then have people that are managing those offices and they have accountability to the people that work for them and they have accountability to people above them that own the company. In my case, you know, my managers are all accountable to me. And, and I, you know, I look at a big picture. I look at numbers on the computer that I'm able to generate different reports that tell me, you know, by route, who's doing what production-wise. And, but I try not to do it all by the numbers. I think that's one of the things that helps separate us as a small company from a bigger company. I talk to my people as well. I can talk to my technicians just the same as I could talk to my manager and get feedback to be a kid so that I can tailor my business differently than, and it's, so it's not so cookie cutter like we talked about earlier. Um, expand on that just a little bit. Um, I've always been a big advocate of take research, take data with a grain of salt. You cannot make decisions, you know, like when you're looking at data and going, oh, you know, you have to also add, you know, this, um, there's a human factor, there's to it. human, this non-tangible um, layer to it. And then you can make it, now you can see the full picture. So can you give me an example of something where the data was showing one thing, but then when you added that human factor, you realized that it was actually a completely different situation? Well, I mean, when you look at the numbers of what the, the technicians are producing, they're supposed to do X number of stops a day and produce X number of dollars of revenue per day. Well, if somebody's not doing that, you got to look at the picture as to why they're not doing that. Is it, are they hitting the number of stops first? Yes. Are they hitting the number of dollar ever? No. Well, why aren't they? Well, when we start looking at the stops that they're doing that and why aren't they priced where they need to be? Well, 
maybe their their special accounts, like city accounts, for example. Mm-hmm. You base your pricing when you price a city account on square footage a lot of times of the buildings. Well, you've got some really, really, really big buildings, and you've got some really, really, really small buildings. Well, the small buildings are going to price out really cheap, but the build, build big buildings may price out more than what it takes to actually do the building. So it kind of offsets each other. Does that make sense? Kind of, yeah. And um, so you've got to kind of look at the bigger picture sometimes of what they're doing. That's why um, you, you really got to delve into not just the numbers, but talk to the technician and see what are they doing. Maybe they're taking care of more than one thing at a, at a particular stop that's allowing, uh, causing them to take more time there so they're getting less stops done or, or we're doing, you know, maybe there's something we're not doing right. We find that out too, that maybe there's a service we're providing for somebody that we should be charging for that we're not. And then we have to go back to the customer and say, hey, look, this is something that you're having a problem with. We're taking care of it, but we really need to get paid for this because it's allowing us to spend way more time here than we normally should be doing. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not profitable for us. We can't, we can't continue to do this for you without getting paid for it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just above scope. Above scope, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the occasional help with something extraneous. Um, for some reason, I thought to ask you about bees, just because um, I've seen on TV how, you know, people have ended up finding like these gigantic beehives inside of their houses. Is that something that you guys deal with or is that something that you outsource to specialists? Because bees are in a category of their own. And they are. And <laughs> and most honeybees are pollinators and you want those in the community and they're not harmful to humans per se. They're not going to come up and just readily sting you unprovoked. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if they're building a nest in your wall, you don't want that because the honey creates other problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always best you had to hire someone who's a specialist in dealing with bees who can extract the bees alive. Mm-hmm. And relocate them, right. and then go in and with and extract the the hive. It's important to remove the honey and the hive from the the wall void mm-hmm. or wherever it is they're nesting, mm-hmm. because that'll create problems with ants and other issues um, as the honey uh, dries up and starts to ro- and the honeycomb starts to rot. Um, so you want all that pulled out. It'll create odor issues. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure all that's removed properly. Um, it could create structural issues depending on where in the structure it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something we do farm out to a, to a specialist and let them deal with it. We try not to kill bees if we can help it. Wasps, hornets, other stinging insects like that, that's within our realm and we will take care of it. But that is and those where it, you kill. Those you kill, yeah, because yeah. those will sting you unprovoked. Yeah. And um, But that's where education is important, being able to look at a, a an insect and recognize this is a honeybee, this is a wasp, this is a hornet, and know the difference. Mm-hmm. So that that's where the training comes in. I've had wasps come into my house, and I, I have, like, that giant spray that you just, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. shoots, like, 20 feet. Are those pretty safe? Most of like them are. Because the, that, that's, kind of, that's my, my, my next question is, you know, what are some industry trends and innovation? I know you guys have always, for as long as I've been aware, have always um, sprayed with products that are safe for children, safe for pets. That is something that is always a concern. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we're always looking products. We're always looking for the products that are the safest products. And by that, you look at at how it's rated. They call it an LD fifty. Um, the higher the number of the what does LD, LD sound for? Uh, lethal dose. <gasps> Okay. Of fifty percent of the test animals that they're they're testing in the lab, 
how much product does it take to actually kill 50% of the 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 target insect or the target animal. Okay, that so that's how kill. that's how pesticides are measured. Right. right. LD lethal dose 50. Right. And most pesticides start out as pharmaceutical products, believe it or not. Um, like can you give me an example? Some of your bigger pharmaceutical companies also make pesticides as a, as a, or have branched off and spun off companies that make pesticides. Um, chrysanthemums are, are one of the uh, is a flower that they make pyrethrum from, which is an insecticide that we use. Um, there's a lot of products that have become pesticides that started out as a pharmaceutical product. They were looking at research for, you know, controlling human problems with it, and it ended up it worked better for as a pesticide. So it ended up going in that direction. Give me an example. It's hard for me to say that off the top of my head. I, okay. I mean, I just. Just from over the years, I know that. I just, I can't give you an exact example, unfortunately, right now. I'm just waiting for to like, oh, you know, contact lens, this brand of contact lens solution. And then they've realized that well, it actually kills blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. All I, right. I, I'm sorry. You put me on the spot there and, and you caught me, <laughs> you know, right. not being able to give you something specific. Well, I, I knew there was some boundary to like your insect knowledge because so there, far, like everything I've asked you, you're like, that's a this, that's a that. They're harmless. They're there poisonous. Are, there are boundaries. So yes, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, so you always look for um, products that are LD50. So we look for stuff that, that is considered safer. Um, there are, you know, and products have gotten safer in development over the years. The the higher the LD50 number, like I said, the safer the product is. In other words, if you were to ingest it, you'd have to ingest so much of it that it would, you know, for it to even make you sick. I'm yeah. not worried about me. I'm worried about my dog and my my toddler. Right. But I mean, so we, we look for safe products and then we look for safe ways of applying those products. And you'll hear things like um, integrated pest management is a big term in our industry. Um, what does it, that mean? Because that's just such a fluffy word, integrated pest management. It is. And it's something that came about in the early 2000s, late 1990s as a means of looking for better, safer ways to take care of people's pest problems. And that doesn't always mean just applying pesticides. Let's look for other means of controlling pests. Let's change their environment. Let's control the sanitation. Let's seal up the the hole that they're coming through. Um, exclusion work, things like that. Trapping, you know, can we trap them instead of spraying for them? You know, are there safer ways to do that? Um, it's allowed us to develop things like dust and gel baits that are applied point specific to certain areas where insects like to hide and breed, mm -hmm. um, like under your sink around a water pipe or up in a crack or a crevice as opposed to coming in and spraying a baseboard. Mm -hmm. um, if you see a guy come into your house mm -hmm. with a, a, we call it a BNG gun, a, spray, a one gallon hand sprayer, and spray the baseboards of that house, he's exposing you and your family to more pesticides than he is any insects that are in that house. You're because making me think of a, something I saw in the news. Was there a guy that did that, that just like... There's a lot of guys that they, do they, that. They, and, and, they just started their own company. They're not licensed. Mm -hmm. And how, how, how does a homeowner Well, you always know? There's a lot of ways to, to know that you're dealing with um, a qualified professional. Um, ask to see the copy of their business license. Most, most should be able to produce an ID card or a business license pretty easily. They're, the state of Florida regulates our industry, so there's... there's um, if you go on to uh, the, it's the, the the Florida Department of Agriculture website, 
you could actually look up all the pest control companies that are licensed within the state of Florida. You can look up all the pest control um, operators that are licensed in the state of Florida. And every pest control technician has to work underneath a certified operator. Like I told you earlier, I'm a certified operator in four categories. Everybody that works for me works under my license and they all carry an ID card and have an ID card that registers them with the state of Florida that says that they have been properly trained on how to apply pesticides to people's homes. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to be able to, you know, look for somebody, you want somebody who's licensed, who's insured. State says that you have to, you know, you have to drive a truck that's lettered a certain way. The state says that you have to provide, you know, proper markings on the on the person that's applying the pesticides. They have to wear a uniform if they're, if they're doing, they have to wear certain safety equipment. Um, there's other rules and regulations that they have to follow, but it's, you know, you want to make sure you're dealing with licensed people. If you've got a guy that shows up in a unmarked truck and gets out in plain clothes and doesn't have, and, you know, carries a and g gun and he's just, you know, he looks sloppy. He looks like he, you know, chances are he probably isn't licensed. Ask to see his insurance, ask to see his license, his IT card. And if you're not sure, check with the state of Florida. There are resources out there. Google makes it very easy now. And um, residential, that's one level. Commercial, when I think of restaurants, you know, pests inside of a restaurant will shut the restaurant down. Yep. Um, it's really serious for them. And th these are places where there's just food everywhere, 24-7 pretty much. And the, st the state has health inspectors that go in and, and check restaurants for those things. And in the same respect, you know, they, restaurants are required to have professional pest control come in and take care of their restaurants. There are a lot of restaurants, unfortunately, that skirt around that and don't. And unfortunately, until they have a problem and the state comes in and shuts them down, they never know. Do you, is that part of your um, new business development process? Like reaching out to restaurants that have been closed down and being like, Hey, we have, we have helped restaurants get reopened that have worked, didn't have our service that will use us going forward because they've reached out to us. Someone's recommended us to them and said, hey, these people can help you, and we've gotten them reopened and helped them with their business. It doesn't sound to me like you're doing a lot of, like, active new business development. Is it, I mean, you've been, you have so many connections. Sounds like you're getting a lot of referrals, a lot of call-ins. You've got your trucks. Is that what, just shed some insight into, like. Oh, we're always pursuing new business, though. I mean, you, you either continue to grow your business or it, it dies. I mean, if you, because customers are going to cancel for many various different reasons, you'll lose customers. People die, people move, people can't afford it anymore because they've lost their job or whatever financial situations they're in. You know, things change. So if you don't keep adding customers and growing your business, eventually, you know, it starts to go backwards and you can't afford that. We don't do a lot of big advertising. That may be what you mean. I do advertise in some magazines that are target specific to certain communities um, like Hyde Park, Avala. There's, you know, magazines that we do advertising there. We do a lot of our new business comes through real estate. We do a lot of real estate inspections where we go in and, and check houses when they're being purchased. And then we, we talk to the buyers as they purchase the houses and acquire them as customers, whether they are actively controlling a problem we found during our inspection or putting them on a preventative program to keep them from having problems because the house was basically in good shape when we when we had checked it out. I'd say probably a 
50% of our new business comes through that right now through these real estate inspections with the real estate market being so hot as it's been the last number of years. And so do you have a business development person or is that you? It's me. So you're making connections, networking, establishing relationships with. And I have salespeople that do the, you know, that are an extension of me that do that as well. So you have dedicated sales reps. I do. And then, so that's their only job to go and evaluate and then put the person on a new plan. Correct. And then you're training your service technicians to upsell and cross sell when they, Correct. when they recognize opportunities. Correct. So you're a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> and we get people that, that see us and they, you know, we get a lot of our new business through referrals. You're right about that. Cause uh, you know, I have a big network, but we also belong to um, chambers of commerce in different communities and, and have people that attend those meetings and network with those type of people so we can get new business there. Um, we sponsor different things, uh, charity type things in different communities where we, especially where we want to continue to grow our business. Um, if we find that we're lacking in a certain area, we try to put more resources in that particular location to try to help build that up. Cause like I said to you earlier, route density is important and the, de- the more stops a, a technician can do in a specific area, the more productive he can be, the more profitable he can be. Do you um, incentivize your service technicians for identifying potential new clients and actually kind of, you know, closing on that? Similar to the clover technique where it's like, oh, just, you know, go ahead and knock on the door. Our technicians, whether they bring something to one of the salespeople to go out and sell or sell it themselves, will get a a percentage of that sale, a commission for doing that. Cool. it, the, how much of a percentage depends on how much of the work they're willing to do themselves versus passing it off to someone else to do for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, yes, they definitely do. And we give referral um, referral fees to our clients that refer business to us too. Like if you send me new business, I'll send you a gift card for Starbucks or for Publix or something like that for $10 or $20, depending on on the client that you sent me and what that turned into, if it turns into a viable ongoing client. Is there a reason why you're, you you give a gift card to Starbucks or Publix versus actually handing over money? Um, I found that people appreciate the gift card more. Really? I think that I think that it's something that they can take and they can they can feel it's like a bonus hmm. if they go in and get themselves coffee at Starbucks or they go into Publix and use it towards their groceries. Um, we have given credit in some cases towards you know future services yes. that. Yeah you know, give you a discount off your next treatment or whatever, but it, 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 it keeps the accounting easier if we don't do that. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, it's six of one half dozen of another. I just find that people like getting a little note in the mail saying, Hey, we appreciate the right. client That's you sent us. Thoughtful. Here's, here's a gift card. Go get yourself some coffee. Do you do that yourself or do you have somebody in the office? that's like your right hand person that helps you. Execute my daughter who runs my office does that for me. And she just, is this the one that just had the baby? She is. She is. So, <laughs> so I'm a new grandfather. Grandfather, seven weeks old. Seven weeks old. Boy JJ. or girl? Boy. Aww. John James Franklin the fourth. So you're the fourth. Where's that coming from? Is that uh, the father's side? I was going to say. I'm like that doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, John I, James. I do have a Kevin Junior. I do have you know one of my sons. Okay. So my, between my wife and I, we have five children. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, like I told you when I came in yesterday was our anniversary. Oh yeah. So we're married 18 years, but you know, we're, it's a blended family. She yeah. had two and I had three. So we got four boys and a girl. A Brady bunch. A Brady bunch. 
Can you just give some marriage advice? Cause that's a very long time. Um, you've got to be understanding. You got to be willing to give and take. You got to be willing to listen. And sometimes you got to be willing to take a stand and hold it too sometimes. But you know, it's, 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 it's give and take, you know, I already shared with you my my favorite marriage advice, which is I'm gonna forget what you just said right now. Yeah, <laughs> move on. Except yeah. pretend that just did not it, come out of your mouth. <laughs> I, I think, it, and it's funny because I was talking to somebody else yesterday about the anniversary and the fact that we're married 18 years, and you know, it's so easy to get divorced anymore. People do it like changing their underwear sometimes, and um, you know, it's you know, people don't want to work at anything anymore. It's too hard. And, you know, it is, you know, having a successful marriage is hard. You've got to work at it. It's like having a successful business. I mean, it, it parlays right into what we're talking about today. You've got to know where to look. You've got to watch what's going on. And you've got to be willing to, to adapt and change sometimes with it. So, I mean, that's what's made me successful in my business, I think, developing good relationships. And that's what I hopefully has made me successful in my, my marriage. My wife still keeps me, so... She hasn't thrown me out yet. Um, we're we're always joking back and forth on that. We my husband has like a weird dark sense of humor, and he's always joking about like trying to poison him. You know, mm-hmm. he's like he's like, oh, I'm not eating that. I'm sure you're poisoning me slowly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's funny how you, you say that because my wife and I both had previous relationships mm-hmm. before. My wife was married twice before me. And I was married once before I met her, and she always said she was going to have five husbands. So I'll still bring that up. I'm the third of her five husbands that she's going to have. So, yeah. So you're just like I'm. I'm waiting to, you know. Be- I know the end is coming eventually. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's become such a tongue in cheek joke now because yeah. every year that goes by, you know, I think cements us a little stronger. Oh, that's super sweet. That's awesome, Kevin. You're. You're a wonderful person. Thank you so much for you know, well, sharing you for- your underbelly with us and <laughs> helping us see, you know, I had no idea that this was like your third rodeo, uh, building a successful pest control company. And you mentioned that, uh, Wayne, your service technician had gone off and started his own company and that you mm-hmm. encouraged that, um, some of our team members have also gone off and opened their own company. And I'm very proud of them as well. And it sounds like whether, you know, you actually need pest control service, um, or you want to get into the business and you want some advice and mentorship that you're open to receiving that from anybody that's interested. Absolutely. I'd be willing to help anybody that was willing to do the work and looking to do it the right way. Um, you definitely have to have ethics. You have to be willing to do it the right way. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there, unfortunately that don't, um, but I think time eventually catches up with those people and, and they, you know, I think, I, I, I'm a big believer in karma, and I think what goes around comes around. If you do things the right way and you put enough good stuff out in the world, it comes back to you. But if you put enough bad stuff out in the world, it catches up with you as well. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, but I thank agree. you for having me. Yeah. What's a, what is a good way to get in touch with you if anybody wants to pick your brain or get a job or anything? Um, you could always call us through the office. Um, we're listed on, on the on the web at citarellapest.com. You can. Uh, our email is, is a way to email us through the, through our website. Um, my, you know, you can call the office and ask for me. I, I return all phone calls that I get eventually. What's the office line? The office phone number is 352-600-7979. Um, 
the the email address is, is admin at com, or you can call Kevin at com. comes directly to me. Um, and like I said, the, the website is com. So thank you again for having me. It's, it's been a lot of fun, and I'd be happy to come back and talk again if you have other questions you want to other things you want to pursue. Definitely. If I, if I'm always thinking of like, you know, different show ideas and different ways to kind of dive deep and there's these, these are conversations that you don't really get to have anywhere else. Most people don't open up and talk about what their training is like, what their, what their business, new business is like, that's just not a normal conversation that people have access to. And that's the whole point of this show to do a, a form where we can talk business and share and hopefully inspire and motivate other people. Well, if a dinosaur like me could do it, and I'm doing this over 40 years in pest control, you know, anybody can do it. This is my first podcast that I've actually been on. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a new, it's a new thing for me, but you know, you gotta be, again, you gotta be willing to adapt and change. Yeah. So, yeah. And try new things. Try new things. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing with us. Me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can be notified of new episodes where we discuss business, marketing, and peek under the hood of successful companies to understand the leadership behind the organization and best practices for today's challenges. I'm your host, Nicole Alisea, founder and president of Brand Envy, an integrated global marketing communications firm based in sunny Tampa Bay. Learn more at createbrandenvy.com. Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandenvy.com. That's createbrand and the letters envy.com. We'll see you next time.